Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Uh, we're in for a treat today. We've got Tim and Scott and they are launching a brand new business. And there's so many facets in this, product development, product creation, marketing, and uh, it's going to be a fascinating episode. Tim, Scott, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Thanks, no, Ben. It's, uh, it is really uh, fascinating to me, partly because I have seen like the pickleball craze over the last uh, sort of 12 to 18 months. I've been following it because I love racket sports. I love any kind of sport. But seeing how pickleball is absolutely blowing up in the US is really interesting. And you guys have a product that is kind of related to pickleball, right? Talk us about uh, what this product is, what this new business is. And, uh, and then maybe we'll get into some of the backstory of your journey and then swing back around to this new business. But just to kind of give everybody a bit of a, you know, whet their appetite for the episode. Um, what is this new business you're launching? Tim, you go first. <laughs> we usually we usually are so good at this, um, but Tim was waiting for me. I'm all right. I'll go. I would go. I would love to talk about it. So Paddle Smash is it's like the love child of pickleball and spike ball. So yeah, yeah. you just said pickleball is booming. Why isn't it taken off in the UK? Or is it? It's just not at the same speed. Yeah, we were talking about this before we hit record. Like, it, there are places you can play. There's somewhere 10 minutes from me. I looked it up. You can play. But it's like, you know, a repurposed tennis court indoors. I think part of it is um, the weather here sucks, you know. Everywhere I seem to see on Instagram, everyone playing pickleball is like Laguna Beach or somewhere like really cool and sunny. And, you know, whereas here it just rains all the time. So, I don't know. Maybe that's it. But it's, it's starting to. But... There's other sports like like paddle. I've started playing paddle, um, yeah, which is really picking up steam as well. So, um, yeah, I got high hopes for pickleball in the UK. Yeah, I bet I'm, I'm, I would bet on it to get big there too. The one downside is that it doesn't play well in the wind, and I think you you tend mm. to have some windy environments there, so it's it's tougher. Yes, but yes, it's course. huge here. We knew it was huge here. I love playing pickleball. I played it for two hours this morning, and so. You know, I think sure. Tim and I were on the lookout for what was the next project for us. And I'm like, you know, I'm spending all this time playing pickleball. I'm like, man, there's something here. There's something happening here in pickleball. We also, you know, we'll get to our backgrounds, but have seen the, mm. the success of a game called Spikeball, which for those that mm. don't know, it's kind of a round net. You're playing two versus two. And it's kind of like a volleyball meets sort of this round net and your bump set spiking the ball. And Man, that's been the best success story in outdoor games in the last 10 years. And so mm. for us, we're always looking for these trends. It's like both of our backgrounds has been a little trend hunting and trying to answer trends. And so we mm. saw both of those trends and we're like, ah, man, maybe there's something where you kind of take elements of both of those games. We actually sketched it out on a napkin, kind of had an mm. idea, kind of the very early stages of an idea ready to explore when I was introduced to an inventor who had created mm. essentially what we were thinking about. And it's always a good sign when that happens. You're like, all right, there's something in the ether. Like kind of we're all thinking about it and circling around it. Now we have to just be the first to get it to market or one of the first. So, the, but the essence mm -hmm. of our idea is those two ideas combined, you are hit, using paddles, you're using a pickleball, and you're trying to bump, set, and smash a ball back into this, this hard plastic court um, once you do that successfully, the other team has to do the same bump set smash back in. And it's kind of back and forth, 
uh, play passing back and forth, but you're playing around a hexagon-shaped base with a net system coming up. So you're kind of circling around that. You're not set in a position, and it's just like it's a buckets of fun. It is one of the best, mm -hmm. most fun things I've ever made, honestly. So yeah. that, that's a little bit of a quick teaser for what the game is. Yeah, it is definitely. There's so much I want to get into here. So, um, But I do want to hear about your background and what's led you to this point before we pick apart some of the details. Um, because you mentioned about inventing, you know, coming up with ideas. You guys are, have a pretty entrepreneurial past from what I gather. We do. Yeah. So I can you know, share mine to, to start. So I, I was actually originally a software entrepreneur and um, had read an article in Inc. Magazine that talked about the creation of a game uh, that was a party game that became really popular here in the States called Cards Against mm -hmm. Humanity. I think it actually got pretty yeah. big in the UK mm -hmm. as well. And so this article kind of laid out the blueprint for how those guys had kind of taken their game to market. Uh, they were just like some high school buddies that, that had done that. And so as like a fun kind of passion project on the nights and weekends, uh, there was a game that I'd been playing with family and friends at like lake houses for a couple of years late at night when you're just bored and looking for something to do uh, that I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like, I think I could take the game that I've been playing uh, and turn it into something a little more official based on the roadmap that was laid out in the article. And so I went ahead and launched that and ended up getting, um, I did a little Kickstarter campaign and got funded, didn't, you know, blow up like you see some of these go crazy on Kickstarter, but it was the first win and kind of got the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And um, through that, I actually was introduced to Scott, who at the time, he had started uh, a company called Marvel's The Brain Store. They're like a retail locations that carried toys and games, uh, focused mostly on brain health. Still questioning what my game did to help brain health, Scott, but uh, either way, uh, he liked the concept and, um, and and decided to carry the game. So that, that, that's how we met. And I can get, you know, Scott can tell a little bit more about his background, but uh, so that, that took me into the, the toy and game space. And um, that's, you know, where... Uh, I'm planning on focusing the rest of my yeah, career. Nice. And, and what happened with that game? Did it continue successfully? Yeah. So, so the the software company, just going back a little bit further, so the software company was acquired by LinkedIn, oh. and um, then the game itself. I came out with a few different versions of it, and it was ultimately picked up by. So, what happened was the game did kind of take off. And it was ended up being carried in like Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble, some of these like really big retailers here in the U.S. And that just kind of got the attention of some of the bigger players in the space. And so there was one in particular that was pretty hot for it. It was a private equity backed toy and game company here in the United mm -hmm. States and um, ended up acquiring the company. Mm -hmm. And so I sold that off as well. Yeah, nice. And um, so what yeah. was the game called? called utter nonsense okay. and the concept behind it was very simple you had two sets of cards you'd have accent cards mm -hmm. and phrase mm -hmm. cards phrases were just kind of like silly silly sayings basically yeah. and then the accents would be just like you're imagining you know british would be one example of an accent um there'd be like a redneck accent there'd be it was an adult game so some of them were a little more aggressive <laughs> uh, but you basically would have like the card for that mm -hmm. round could be like a pirate accent and so everyone had to go around and and pick one of the phrases in their hand to say in a pirate accent so you'd be like 
maybe like whatever you know whatever the thing said and uh there's one person who's the judge that just subjectively decides on who they like the best mm-hmm. so again just a, a silly silly game but it struck a chord yeah. here and uh ended up doing pretty well the people um i often think about a game it being once you've got the idea it's quite easy to produce uh, is that the biggest challenge of the idea or is there some uh, other challenges beyond that um I would take the other side of that argument. I think execution is the is the really complicated part. The idea is easy. It's not easy to have good ideas, but yeah, I, as someone who I think comes up with a lot of ideas, um, I, I just think the execution really is is the more complicated yeah. part. I mean, in that particular instance, it was a little bit easier because it was literally just a deck of mm-hmm. cards. So there wasn't a whole lot to it as far as that goes, but there's still I don't know, the manufacturing of it, the marketing of it, the distribution point, yeah. you know, is there just, there's still a lot of moving pieces there. Um, yeah. So cool. yeah, I, I may take the other side. No, no, of that. that's, that's good. Well, that's, that's good to know. Um, and then in, just in terms of the exit, like uh, we talking life changing here or just a step in the journey? What are we, what are we um, yeah, I'd, I'd say more so. I mean, between the two, it uh, kind of let me choose my own path. I'll put it yeah. that way. Like not, not enough to like, where I'm done working, but just where like, I don't have to work for somebody else, you know? Yeah, yeah. So good. Awesome. And how about you, yeah. Scott? How did you come into this journey? Yeah, that different route than Tim, but uh, I ended up getting kind of hired into a, a business incubator in Chicago. They were hiring young, scrappy entrepreneurs. None of us had an idea at that point. It was like, Hey, come in here. We'll give you guys an environment where you hopefully can come up with good ideas and we'll potentially invest in it. And so we were there kind of always coming up with concepts, throwing them up on the wall. Everyone would would pick it apart and decide what was worthy of going forward. Uh, we'd even write our ideas on a like a goldfish cutout. The idea being that you like, had to treat your ideas like a pet that you weren't afraid to kind of flush down the toilet if it was uh, if it had passed on. It's like uh, treat your ideas the same way. Don't fall so in love with them that you're not afraid to flush it down the toilet. Right. And yeah. uh, we we came up with this concept around brain health. It was like uh, all this neat emerging science around brain health. And then there was this fear among baby boomers of cognitive decline. And we're like, all right, well, maybe there's like an answer to this fear. But no one was aggregating it together in one spot. So we opened a, a location in downtown Chicago called Marbles the Brain Store. And the, the premise was we're going to give you a bunch of amazing products that are good for your brain. And some of it was toys and games because we had been told by a bunch of neuroscientists and occupational therapists that they were using games in their practices to help people. Um, it was like a thing that their their patients would be willing to do over and over. And so as it evolved, you know, we started with one location in downtown Chicago. Over 10 years, we grew to have over 40 locations across the U.S. Uh, but it definitely evolved into more of a toy and game focused concept because that's what people were buying in our stores. They weren't buying the $500 software. They weren't buying the supplements, the pedometers. They were buying toys and games. And so we became a toy and game store and, and we're known in the industry for kind of a rising star in that space. We were a bit of like a Kickstarter where we were on the on the lookout for up and coming brands and companies, uh, usually companies just like Tim, where it was like, their first game and their only game 
and they hadn't been anywhere yet. Yeah. And we were the kind of the spot that we wanted to, we wanted to be a place where people launched their ideas. Yes. Um, and brain health was still at the core, but it was maybe a little less, uh, less important. Um, you know, Tim's, I, I would argue that Tim's was brainy in a way, but it wasn't like, it wasn't scientific <laughs> brainy. Um, so that was the idea. We grew, we launched a bunch of fun brands. Ultimately we sold um, kind of the whole concept was sold off to a big Canadian company, multi-billion dollar publicly traded company in Canada called Spinmaster. They're the fourth biggest toy and game company in the yeah, world. Heard of them, yeah. um, so they kind of swallowed marbles up, spit spit a bunch of it out. And, uh, you know, it's it still exists in its own, own form, but not the way it was with me. Um, I worked there for three years and then kind of got the itch again to kind of be off on my own. Um, or be much smaller. And so that's that's where Tim and I met back up. We kind of vowed to work together again at some point. Uh, we hit it off when we were working together with my shops and thought, all right, we're going to find something to do together. It's just a matter of time. And so we started looking aggressively, call it uh, two years ago. And, uh, and this is kind of what led us together. Yeah, nice. Good. And yeah, let's pick up that journey then, Paddle, Paddle Smash. Got that right, haven't I? paddlesmash.com yes paddlesmash um paddlesmash get a few plugs in there (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) so two years ago you kind of started really on this journey talk to us about you know the evolving concept when you decided on this particular one why did you decide and how did you go through that iteration process um, ideation process sorry of you know product research etc so this one was somewhat unique Uh, scott and i for the most part, we'll actually come up with concepts ourselves. And a little backstory, and Scott may have already mentioned this, but we had been kind of circling around doing something with pickleball and had sketched up uh, something that looks very similar to what is Paddle Spash now. And we, uh, that's all we had though, was just like this idea on paper. And a few weeks after that, Scott was actually introduced to a gentleman by the name of Joe Bingham, who is a uh, he's a structural engineer that lives in Utah, not too far from where Scott lives. And he and his seven kids um, love playing pickleball. And the problem was pickleball courts like everywhere today in America is that they're always crowded. Um, even though there, is, there are a lot of them, they're still not everywhere. So he was traveling 20 minutes away to uh, have to play pickleball with his family. And just being that structural engineer kind of brainy guy who likes to tinker, he was like, I'm going to try to figure out something we could play in our backyard. And uh, his kids used to love playing spike ball. So he kind of had that as like an inspiration. He's like, but, you know, more wanting to do something on the pickleball side of things. And so Joe actually created, uh, he's the inventor of Paddle Mm -hmm. Smash. And he created a prototype that was pretty slick. Um, It was like, glued together a big piece of plastic and he just kind of Frankenstein this thing together, but ultimately made a really nice prototype that uh, he played with his friends and family and neighbors for a while and wanted to commercialize it, wanted to bring it to market, didn't really kind of know how to do that. And that's when he was introduced to Scott. And uh, so it was just kind of a very fortuitous moment where we had just been talking about, you know, wanting to do something very similar. And then here was, you know, this gentleman who had already figured out all of the details. So it would take us a long time to kind of determine the dimensions. And I don't know, there's just a lot of stuff that he figured out on his own through trial and error and gameplay. And so we said, okay, great. Uh, We'll do a licensing deal with Joe. And so 
that's the arrangement that we have with him is that we license the, the, the idea from Joe. He gets a royalty based on sales. And then Scott and I take on all the risk and we are the publishers of the game. Okay. So, um, so that's a little bit of, a, of, of the backstory. Yeah. And so then from there, we had to, while, while Joe did have the kind of complete game figured out, it just wasn't ready to take it to market. Okay. Uh, it was something, I think it was like 60 pounds. It couldn't be set up on shelves or anything like that. So we, we really had to like start from scratch in terms of like designing it for retailers, designing it to be shipped and uh, making it available for, for mass market. So we hired a design and engineering firm, like an industrial design firm that could then take Joe's concept and turn it into something that, you know, would be able to mass produce, sit on shelves, et cetera. Yeah. So that was about a year long process. And then um, just basically a few weeks ago, about a month ago, we are actually now live in the market. On sale. On sale. Nice. That's correct. Yep. Be shipped to the UK. Yep. I might uh, so, have to pick one up. <laughs> we do not yet. We can figure out how to get one to you, but uh, we're not shipping uh, to consumers yet. We will at some point. Yeah. But yeah, we have to like yeah. pick our market so first and yeah. pick the yeah yeah definitely yeah are you just doing wholesale in the us or so you're not doing direct to consumer no actually we we actually went into this planning to do direct consumer to launch um mm. both of both tim and i obviously have a lot of experience with wholesale uh and and know the benefits and costs of doing wholesale i'd say obviously the benefit is you get mass exposure the cost is is that they don't have a lot of patience for your product, number one. And number two, it's just really hard to get into these mass market retailers. Um, you know, Tim got his game in. I'd say like it, it, that was an exception to the rule. It's usually a lot of begging, a lot of waiting. Um, and so we wanted to kind of, you know, the direct consumer opportunity has really made it so it's easier to get in front of consumers. You're not as as reliant on on mass market retail and so we we knew that and decided direct consumer was our route so we launched our own shopify site and our own amazon store about a month ago um, and are having some nice success on both of those channels out of the gate um, but we also recognize the value of of wholesale and of brick and mortar retail and so they're buying cycles require us to get in front of them now uh like they're they're picking product for next summer next fall and so we started to do just a little bit of cold outreach just as like uh we didn't have any we didn't have any relationships really in this space i've spent my time in toys and games and and we were really thinking our product is more for sporting goods stores and so we were like kind of doing this blind outreach we were tracking down buyers on linkedin and kind of calling in favors to friends that we knew had product in, in sporting goods stores and then sending emails completely cold. Um, and I'd say we like in many ways have lucked out. You know, luck is a funny word because so much of luck is, uh, you know, like you can spread out your surface area of luck by sending a lot of emails out. And uh, part of our luck, part of what makes it work for us is that we're riding the coattails of two very successful uh, products. Pickleball, yeah. every buyer in the U.S. right now buying in sporting goods is full aware of Pickleball. 
Um, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure their bosses are saying, find anything out there that's pickleball related because it's booming. Mm-hmm. And then they've all ridden the wave of spike ball over the last 10 years in the U.S. It's been a massive success for these sporting goods stores. So for us to send an email that says we've created a product that merges spick, uh, uh, pickleball and spike ball, they were like, uh, yeah, take my money a little bit. I mean, it took some work on our end and that. <laughs> You know, it's not a done deal, but we are in Dick's Sporting Goods, the biggest sporting goods retailer in the U.S. Uh, This fall will be in for tests. So it was kind of a fun thing. We sent the email out. We got an immediate response back and they were like, come to Pittsburgh and present to us in person. And we're like, all right, let's do it. Um, This wasn't the plan, but let's do it. So we flew out there and presented thinking if they took it, they would take it for next spring or summer. But they almost immediately reached back out and said, listen, we want to we want to expedite this thing. We think it's got real legs. We're putting it in in select stores this fall. So they've picked out their top 20 stores in warm weather states and they're putting it into those stores for this fall. And then the hope is that we'll roll it out to more stores in the spring. So, yeah, yeah, direct consumer was our plan with mass market to follow. Um, It's kind of happened now that we're doing both at the same time in many ways. Yeah, well, that's a good sign, right? It's really picking up steam really quickly. It's an amazing sign. Um, so that's super, super exciting. We're just stepping back a bit because there's so many. I feel like we could do a podcast episode on each of these areas, but just to talk through product development and then I'd love to get into the marketing side as well, what you're doing on the marketing front. But for a product development perspective, because a lot of our listeners will maybe um, you know, create and sell products that are very much known to people and make small adjustments, you're creating something completely from scratch. Like, firstly, where are you getting this made? Is it U.S.? Is it China? What, what's happening there? So it is it is being manufactured in China. Uh, we have tried and looked and actually recently to making it in the U.S. And it's it's not. Uh, so, so the base, which we call the court, um, is fairly large and it's an injection molded plastic. Yeah. And due to the size and nature of it, it's not something that a lot of manufacturers can can do. Actually, our our Chinese manufacturer also had a hard time finding someone to source to do that. And so we are working with a Chinese firm to uh, to, to to manufacture yeah. and produce the product. And has it been a big investment in product development? I imagine there's lots of design, lots of tooling, as much as obviously you're able or willing to disclose. Like, what's that journey mm-hmm. been like? Yes. So this one was a bit more uh, significant as far as upfront costs mm-hmm. go. And, you know, like when I did the card game, it was literally just a box of cards. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, there's not a whole lot to it. So it's a, it was a fairly low risk thing for me to pursue on my own. Um, and I think that's, that was probably one of the hurdles that Joe would have had if he tried to mm-hmm. do this once he got into it, just realizing that from the upfront perspective, it was going to be quite pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one would just be the, you know, obviously there's the, the design and engineering that we had to do. That's something that we outsource to like a really high level firm. Um, they're not cheap, <laughs> um, but they do, they, they do great work. And so, you know, they came up with uh, the, you know, the design that we ultimately went with. And then the, the manufacturer, there was a series of prototypes where we're, you know, 3d printing. That's, that's the beauty of doing what we do right now is that 3d printing really gives you the ability to kind of like take what you have on paper and make it a reality yeah. fairly quickly and fairly low cost. 
uh, and but then yeah, once we finalized everything and approved the 3D printed version of what we wanted to make, the cost for tooling is substantial, especially for something of this size. And so I think roughly 50 grand, something you know, something like yeah. that for up for upfront costs. And so you know, Scott and I, when we started just kind of noodling this idea ourselves, we would mention it to some of the folks in our network who we just respected their opinion. And the good thing there was unintentionally, uh, we were fundraising. We didn't realize it at the time because after we would show this to whoever we were showing it to, we almost immediately got the follow-up question of, can I Mm. invest? Uh, So we decided, you know what, this thing is gonna be probably a little bit more pricey than we wanna take on to bring it to market. It seems like it's a pretty hot item. Let's uh, let's raise let's raise some capital. So we did actually do a, a small fundraising round of about five hundred five hundred dollars U.S. and uh, you know and then got off to creating our first you know did our first production run, which which was just got here. Yeah, and those were going to be my next questions. I suppose is what was it that made you confident enough? Because that's a big sum of money to invest, whether that's through raising finance or, or yourselves. What were the kind of things, that, the signals that you were looking for? Was it just excitement in the people you were talking to? Was there any uh, re, you know, data-driven research you did? Was it a feeling? What do you go on as entrepreneurs that says, yeah, we're going to raise $500,000 and go for this? You know, what, what was it? It's, it's a lot of all of those. Um, I think mm. the the way it happened was I met, I met Joe. I find myself in a spot where I'm constantly being pitched ideas. And when I was running those retail stores, I was kind of in the seat of always evaluating concepts for our shops, meeting with inventors as well, and developed a decent radar for kind of good, bad product and uh, what had opportunity, kind of what had legs. And so when I met Joe, I think my guard was up. I, I'm like constantly being pitched ideas, but like almost immediately I was like, okay, there's something interesting here. Joe, I need to see it in person. So I drove up to his house. I mean, he happens to live close to me, drove up, played it in his backyard. And like, you know, again, like my guard's always up that like, I, I like immediately was feeling it. I'm like easy to get into, easy to figure out how to play, fun to play across a broad range of ages. It just checked a bunch of boxes. So mm. then I called Tim and I'm like, Tim, listen, we might have something I described it to Tim and Tim's like, that sounds great, but I want to see it. So Tim flew from Chicago to Utah uh, to evaluate it with me. We set it up in my backyard and played it together, uh, kind of one-on-one just to like initially figure out the game and figure out if we liked it and Tim liked it. When it passed kind of that hurdle, we were like, all right, let's now take it out to the public and like get some true feedback. Um, And so we took it down to the local pickleball courts. I've got some five minutes from my house. They're always crowded. And so we just knew we'd get a group of people that like had no previous experience with it. Um, And I think one of the big red flags I have from inventors is when they tell me that their friends and family loved it. And that's the justification for, for me loving it. And I'm always like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, I mean, naturally like your friends and family love it. Have you played it with anyone outside of that group? And when they hadn't, I was really concerned and so, you know, I felt the same way. I was like, we've got to get this outside of our realm and see. So we took it down there, set it up, and just like immediately we're getting really uh, interesting reactions. People were stopping mid-game, coming over to the fence to ask about it. They were coming out and asking if they could play. And we weren't presenting this game as if it was ours. It wasn't. 
Um, we said to them, listen, we don't know if this is any good. An inventor lent this to us to try out. We're trying to decide if we like it. And I think that put everyone else's guard down. Uh, they were like, all right, well, I'm not hurting your feelings if I tell you the truth here. Um, that's actually something I would recommend to anyone trying to evaluate an idea yeah, is to present tip. it as if it's not your own, yeah. even if it is yours. Great I always tip. say, somebody sent me this thing. Help me figure out if this is any good. Yeah. So that's what we did. And we were getting genuine feedbacks, most of it positive, some of it constructive. It was like, listen, this thing is huge and heavy. I couldn't fit this into my car. Mm. I wouldn't buy this if I couldn't fit it into my car. Well, noted, like we knew right out of the gate, like this thing needed to be compact enough that it could easily be um, folded into it and, and put into a car and easy to carry around. So mm. like great feedback, but on the whole, very, very positive. Like we had one guy grinning the entire time he was playing, finished, asked if he could invest, and then asked if he could buy that sample, then left, and we're like, where did he go? He comes back 15 minutes later with his teenage son, and he's like, I had to show it to Dylan. <laughs> and so then Dylan plays it with us, and we're like, watching dad and teenage son play together, and you could just tell this is something a dad, that dad has been searching for. He's like, all right, a game I can play with him, that he's having fun, I'm having fun, and I can, I can hold my own. And to us, like... Even just that little focus group told us who we think is our core audience. Our core audience is family and it's parents looking to play with their teenage kids. Um, mm. And, you know, this is like goes back to the origin story of this game where Joe couldn't keep up with his teenage sons playing spike ball. Well, our game is much easier to play. So that was like just in that little focus group, we gained a ton of insights that led us to say, we think there's something here. This is worth us making a bet on. Even then, you are taking big risks. Most products f fail. And so, you know, I think jury's still out on whether it will succeed. Um, but we feel very optimistic based off of kind of the experience we've had over the last year and this early month worth of read. Yeah, yeah you've got me excited, that's for sure. Um, so then... <laughs> There's one other thing, too, just yeah. I'll add to that in terms of like more data-driven mm. research. Uh, we looked into, because we had never done a backyard game before. We had plenty of experience with called typical toys and games. Uh, but we looked into like, what is the market for toys and games? Sorry, outdoor games look like. And it's, it's quite large. It's one of the largest that we just kind of didn't realize that, but it's also the fastest growing. And I think maybe has something to do with COVID and just everyone desperate to be outside. Mm -hmm. And so that was another just kind of checkpoint for us to be like, okay, like this is a big market that we're going to go after. And it's a big market that's growing. Yeah, that's awesome. You, so you've got the idea locked in. Then when it comes to the funding, you mentioned about people wanting to invest, a round of funding. For a complete beginner that's launching something innovative like this, how do you even go about this? You know, a friend offers you 50 grand to invest. You, you just take his cash and just promise, promise him some money in the future. Like, how, how, does it, how does it actually work? <laughs> so so it's, it's always interesting doing the initial fundraise because there are no metrics to go off of, right? It's different when you've been in business for a number of years, you have sales data. There's just, there's more of a system in yeah. place for once you're a mature company. However, the early stage stuff, the pre-launch stuff, uh, it's more of an art than a science. And so really it's about what can you convince somebody to pay for something that doesn't quite <laughs> exist. And we, so we recognized that 
there was a very strong interest in this game and we set we think reasonable but you know fair but aggressive terms and we did kind of a big pitch call with everyone saying hey we're going to raise you know well just can i share scott or is that not something we want public no sure yeah so we raised five hundred thousand dollars on a four million dollar valuation and so like how is it worth $4 million when we haven't, you know, we didn't have anything at that time. Um, I think part of it is just like we have a, so there's some things that we had going for ourselves. We have a his, history and track record of success in this particular space. Um, obviously everyone sees and what's happening with the pickleball blowing up and wanting some exposure to that. So there was a lot for the same reasons that the buyers at retailers are, excited about this game. I think there was the same feeling and sentiment from potential investors. So we, we established a valuation said, this is what we're raising and how much we're raising. And are you interested? And we shared it to just a few of those in, initial people that we talked to that had said they wanted to talk, you know, they were interested. So we went back to them, said, here it is. Let us know if you're in. And literally everyone said yes. So uh, that that was it. I, I can't say that they all go that easy, but <laughs> in this particular instance, it, yeah. it did go pretty well. I, again, it's a, it's a sign of a good idea, isn't it? That everybody's in, everybody's excited. Um, you know, because people that have that kind of money to invest, they have gotten it by being smart and having you know making good decisions, and so that's a really good sign. Um, and so then you've given yeah. up equity in the company to enable that. Exactly. Yep. So we've given up a portion of the equity, mm-hmm. um, you know, rel- relatively small. So, you know, 500,000 at a $4 million valuation, I think something like 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott and I still own roughly, you know, 44% mm-hmm. of it, um, which was fine, you know, for us to each give up uh, five or 6% yeah. to not be out five, 250 grand each, basically, yeah. you know, if that's what it's going to take to get it off the ground, we felt like that was a, a fair trade. Yeah. And if you started to model your projections in terms of sales and, um, you know, if you're going to have to take on further funding in the future, um, you know, in the next couple of years, what do you think it looks like? We hope not. I think the goal here is that sales will provide, you know, cash flow of the business Mm -hmm. will provide enough to, you know, do what we need to, to grow this company. Now, if for some reason, we need to be in the UK tomorrow. We need to be in Australia tomorrow. Those things happen. Um, if you're listeners, you know, just there's huge, huge demand yeah. from Ben Donovan's <laughs> listen, listeners um, where we need to go do however many production runs and come up with that kind of capital. Like there, there is a scenario there, I guess. Uh, but if we play it right and we manage our cash properly, I will share that like Scott and I don't take salaries. Mm-hmm. So we are essentially working for yeah. free right now um just to kind of like stay as lean as possible so because of that you know we've just maintained uh you know just being as lean as possible right now while we're just trying to get this off the ground and your mindset going into it is it that you this is a passion project you want to run forever or you're building it for a few years to then sell do you go in with either of those mindsets or is it just see what happens It's a good question. Yeah, I think I, that it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you want to take this one, Scott? You got it, Tim. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we are of the opinion that 
we'll say for one, we, we set this up almost in the sense of like bootstrapping. So like, yes, we did raise capital, but uh, we, we gave up very little. We think we are doing it in a way that we don't have to continue raising capital. So that's what, you know, coming from a software background, I mean, once you take capital, typically it's like a drug and you just, you need more of it because you just have to grow, grow, grow. And so while we've taken initial capital, we, we hope that that's not going to have to continue to be the case that we need to further raise capital to grow. And so with that, we, there's a scenario here where we could continue to operate this business, cash flow profitably, issue dividends to investors, and just be on our merry way. Um, the reality is, I'd say, with Scott and I's history is that you know we love to start things um, and get them going. We don't, part of why we do what we do is that we don't love big bureaucratic mm -hmm. companies and organizations and managing a ton of people and, you know, that kind of takes the fun out mm -hmm. of it for us. So I would say while the business could be set up to run for a long time, the reality is that Scott and I, just with our own wishes, we would likely look to sell mm -hmm. it, you know, once we establish some level of success. Yeah. Yeah, you want the freedom to be out playing pickleball two hours in the morning, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's awesome. Um, last topic, then, real briefly, because you know, time your time is precious. But uh, from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, wholesale would be like a whole other conversation in itself. But just in terms of, uh, of your direct to consumer, um, getting it out there, obviously, you know, appearing on podcasts is one angle. But what are what's the kind of the collective? Um, you know, project looking like for marketing this on a DTC level? Yeah, we've been lucky to have a couple of pioneers pave the way a little bit in front of us. So I'd say Spikeball, who I keep bringing up, big success yeah. story. They've shown a lot of people how this can be done. Um, another one that's been a big success in the US over the last three years is called CrossNet. And we've got mm, I was gonna you know, connections them, with yeah. them. They've been very open and, and willing to share what's worked for them. So we're trying to follow in many ways the pattern they've laid out. One of the biggest things is that games inherently have this call it like a viral coefficient. So, you know, if you play a game, you own it and you're playing with three of your buddies and they have a good, good experience, well, more than likely those buddies will want to buy it as well. And that's just kind of how game play kind of general board game world works is that if you have something that that um, is good and fun to play, well, generally it can start to spread organically. Um, the nice thing about an outdoor game is you're going and doing it out in public, generally. And uh, so you get passers-by seeing you play, come up and ask you about it. That's really what happened with Spikeball. It's what happened with CrossNet is they kind of got enough out into the market. It was like, call it a critical mass that they reached a tipping point with their games where just enough got out there that enough people were kind of evangelizing for them that it started to spread um, without them spending buckets of money. So we are, we've got an ad agency helping us. We are putting ads, ads out in social media, but we are also working the more organic side. It's not free. Um, you know, we have to send free samples out to a bunch of people, but we're trying to kind of pinpoint the right people to get it out in the hands of. Like one fun example here is I went to like a, a local festival in my community and at this point, we didn't even have sellable goods. This was pre-launch. I just had my sample, but I was like, I'm just going to get it out there and play and let people see it. If people ask me about it, I'll have a business card with our, with our uh, website on it. 
And so through that, like we sold a handful, um, but one guy got super excited about it. And he has, I think we can trace 15 sales to this one guy just because he's played it with a bunch of different friends. Like they have this video of them playing on a houseboat and like that just has organically spread. And our hope is that that is emblematic of what we can do kind of nationwide and ultimately worldwide is you get it into the right hands of people that are connectors and they then start to spread the word. So we're trying to, we're trying to do that both by sending out free samples and by incentivizing people to talk about it. So we do have a, an affiliate program set up where you can immediately upon purchase of our product, be signed up, given your own unique code. And if someone asks you about it, you can offer them 20 bucks off. And if they transact, you get 20 bucks commission back. Nice. And so we're just trying to turn our consumers into our kind of our evangelizers, the ones that kind of go out and spread the word. And uh, yeah, so I mean, again, we're a month in. We don't know if this is the right path. We're doing a lot of testing and learning, but that's one we think will will work based off of what we've seen work with other brands. Yeah, nice. And final one, uh, just because a lot of our listeners will be Amazon sellers. Do you have a particular Amazon strategy or is it just throwing it up there and waiting for that branded search? What, what are the thoughts there? So Amazon is such a beast of its own. Mm. We've actually decided to outsource that to work with a, um, a digital agency mm. that is handling our agency business or sorry, our Amazon business. So um, Scott and I, it's just the, we're the team. So it's just the two of us. And there's just a lot of hats that we have to wear. And uh, Amazon's gotten so big and so complex mm -hmm. that we prefer just to work with experts in that space. And so, um, yes, we, we do have a strategy. I mean, we're you know, running ads and um, whatnot on there, but we've, we've, we're not in the day-to-day the -day weeds as far as yeah. managing that listing. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Good stuff. Well, I mean, I, I could ask you questions about this all day because I think it's fascinating, but we're already uh, already up over 40 minutes and I know you're going to have lots of paddle smash sets to us uh, to sell today. So um, is, there, is there anything though to finish though that I've, I haven't asked you, maybe that I should have, that you think is worth everyone hearing? Just where people can find it. Um, I don't know. The if game? We, we, yeah, we maybe yeah. <laughs> it's just paddlesmash.com. So easy to yeah. find us, any of the US listeners, it's free shipping. Um, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's the best thing to kind of get the word out in the UK. We'll get to you eventually. Um, keep asking, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, so Don't yeah, we'll, we're about working us. on Don't that. Forget. It is part of our yeah. long-term plans, but, uh, we're focusing on, uh, us now and kind of warm weather states and countries to start, but ultimately <laughs> we will get there. Yeah. yeah, no, I've got no doubt that it's going to blow up. You know, you've got the examples of Spikeball, Crossnet. These well thought out, you know, games do get massive. And uh, I think the timing just seems so good with this. And so, um, yeah, I'm like, when's the next round? Let me invest, crying out loud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to follow the journey. I assume you're on like social media and stuff like that with Paddle Smash. We can follow along there. We are, yeah. It's almost all just yeah, if you look at Paddle Smash. Much find us. Paddle Smash. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So good. Well, we will do that. We'll leave all the links in the show notes in the description so everyone can check it out, buy a bunch of sets, spread around the uh, the Paddle Smash love. Tim, Scott, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking time out today.
Thanks for having us. And Ben, Thanks, if ben. your listeners want a yeah. promo code, I'm going to give them a promo code right now. So Ben30, we'll get them 30 bucks off. So we're going to see, oh, there we go. gonna see if Exclusive. Ben's listeners convert. Yeah, so yeah, right Ben30. Ben yeah, right here. Guys, please buy this so I can become... I can become an influencer for a paddle smash uh, brand that I would really like that. So please buy this guys. Yeah. We'd like that too. Yeah. We'll figure out a way to get one to you. Um, just so you can start, start spreading the word there. Um, but yeah. yeah if anyone's really listening to the U S and 30, no spaces, nice. we'll uh, get you 30 bucks off. Good. Come on. Sounds good. Thank you so much for that. I'm sure there'll be some people that take advantage of that. Amazing. Thanks, guys, for joining us on this episode today of the Brand Builder Show. Do check out all of the show notes, like I mentioned before, uh, in the description, in the show notes on the podcast apps. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode real soon.